it's very hard to predict how they are going about this. I don't think um, there is any clear mechanisms of policy making uh, with the current authorities. Uh, there are people in authority, um, but there isn't really a regime as such, and that makes it really unpredictable. On this episode of TCF World, we talk to Lina Atala about press freedom in Egypt. I'm Thanasi Kambanis in Cairo. Hi, this is Thanasi Kambanis. Welcome to the Century Foundation podcast. I'm in Cairo with Lina Atala, the editor of Mada Masa, and we're going to talk a little bit about how things are going at Mada. Lina, thanks for joining me. Thank you, Thanasi. So, uh, I know it's an obvious first question, but tell us a little bit about what's happened with the, the access block uh, to Mata's website and how, and how you are dealing with it. Uh, so, Mata is uh, one of uh, over 100 websites that have been recently blocked in Egypt, uh, mostly website that provides uh, that provide content, uh, particularly the news content, but not only that. Um, it's been two months that uh, access to our site uh, is not available for people living in Egypt um, uh, unless uh, they uh, browse the internet uh, using VPNs and proxies, uh, which is uh, what people tend to do in contexts uh, where censorship is manifested in website blockages like in Iran, like in China and elsewhere in the world. Um, the blocking, as you might have heard, um, happened by an anonymous uh, party in the sense that... Um, the government didn't take public credit for it. No. Uh, and also every single government entity we went to, from the telecom regulators to the press authorities, uh, asking them uh, whether you know they know anything about uh, the, you know the decision uh, or the, the reference to which the blocking took place, uh, they would deny it. Uh, so it's also uh, important to, to note that this is uh, an unauthored act of censorship from the state. So there's not a in other words, it's not like sometimes in China where they publicly will say that they're blocking this or that site here. No one is no one is admitting that you're blocked or that they're blocking you. No, no one is admitting uh, that and it might be also uh, part of Egypt still positioning itself vis-a-vis -vis this, uh, this mechanism of uh, blocking sites on the internet because this has not this is not typical in Egypt at all. Actually, uh, unlike many uh, other authoritarian neighbors who where for years and years, even before 2011 and the revolution, uh, engaged in this practice of blocking websites, uh, blocking access to certain websites. Egypt has not been one of those. Egypt would typically, um, you know, penalize uh, people who express themselves on the internet by actually going to individuals and prosecuting them, as opposed to blocking websites. And this has been part of its strategy to, you know, seem like an open country uh, and, you know, that is uh, one of its important spaces and tools of investment is an open and free internet, quote-unquote. So it's very new uh, to Egypt, that act of, uh, like, a widespread uh, blocking of websites. So do you, do you think uh, what happened 
is partly the result of, of, of the government having just acquired a new technical capacity that it didn't have before to, to shut down specific websites? I do not think the blocking requires uh, so much of a, uh, of a tool that wasn't uh, there before. It's um, referencing more the, the, the political uh, the political position or the political uh, direction to block websites. I think the blocking is happening in a very um, sort of uh, basic uh, way. That said, it is important to also note that Egypt has been uh, investing uh, uh, much more in the recent years in uh, surveillance tools, uh, more surveillance uh, tools than censorship as far as I know. And we're talking here about both uh, mass and targeted surveillance. Mm -hmm. uh, and we're talking here about, uh, you know, uh, different sorts of tools um, and, uh, and software that are imported from the US and Europe, uh, despite some attempts to impose uh, some bans on, uh, on such imports on, you know, because of the use for uh, violating human rights, basically. Uh, but as far as the blocking is concerned, I don't get a sense that this is uh, happening just because they acquired recently new tools. So, so do you? Why, why do you think then that the? Um, I mean, so okay, we know that the arc of this uh, regime has been, in general, to engage in unprecedented levels of political repression and closing the public space, and that's been consistent, I think, since. Uh, even since before CC officially came to power, why or why or what has prompted the government to decide that there's no longer a cost to uh, getting rid of even the pretense of, of a certain like elite level of, of free free discourse, which has always been, as you as you said, a, a hallmark of Egypt that made it different from other authoritarian Arab countries. I think uh, the little cost uh, analysis comes from the fact uh, that you know what has been quite efficient uh, in the in the last years of, as you said, unprecedented uh, um, uh, limitations on the political space is that in fact this political space has become extremely weakened. Uh, that you know uh, it is very easy to like carry on more. Uh, Act of crackdown and more acts of uh, limitations on the space without anyone really able to uh, stand up uh, and do something about it. And to give you an example, the kind of weakening that is happening is not just happening on the basis of um, imprisoning certain figures, for example, in such a way where there's no one out there left to defend uh, civil and political rights, we're talking about institutional weakenings as well. So a lot of the civil society organizations that would uh, basically mobilize campaigns against uh, censorship are practically unable to function right now because they are stuck somewhere between a lawsuit that is targeting most of them, particularly the human rights organization, and an extremely um, restrictive legislation that basically threatens their very existence. So we're talking about um, a, an unprecedented institutional weakening that is making um, it very easy uh, for the authorities to you know, engage in any form of, of, of uh, crackdowns without uh, facing uh, a backlash. And I have to also point to the fact that this particular uh, type of crackdown, uh, basically um, shutting down all these websites, 
I must say it's a very smart one because it's a very soft one in the sense that um, this time around uh, they haven't gone after prominent human rights defenders or prominent journalists and jailed them, although this is not something that they wouldn't do, but it is the kind of thing that has a cost because there will be still some sort of a backlash locally and internationally. But what they did instead is that they went for a bunch of websites Love them, um, and you know the effect of that in terms of the response is much weaker than if it was someone uh, put in jail, like Hossein Magid, for example. And I, the the contrast being when your own when your own uh, is he a writer editor uh, Hossam was was questioned for some of the the critical things he wrote, and he was taken in for questioning. I guess he wasn't even formally arrested, uh, and there was a huge outcry, and that appeared. I mean, I, I was actually surprised that he that he was released. I thought that um, I thought that this government's record would would make them that, that they would they they wouldn't uh, respond to that pressure. Uh, so it's interesting if if what. What we can learn from this is that there are still some pressure points that matter to uh, to this government, and so they're trying to figure out what what uh, what kind of pressure they care about, what kind of pressure they don't. Um, and I guess also, are you aware of any kind of diplomatic pressure or or outcry from anyone that matters to this government about about the crackdown, or has it actually been radio silence? Uh, for the last two months. You mean from the West? From the West or from or from important um, Arab constituencies or uh, or even Egyptian constituencies because I, I, I think that when we have seen pressure, even pressure that hasn't worked, it's not necessarily only Western, right? Mm -hmm. It might be from uh, Arab backers of the government that will say, hey, you're going too far on this. I mean, we saw that with the Al Jazeera case, and the government didn't care ultimately, but they were, they got pressure, not just from the West, but they got pressure from their bankrollers in the Gulf. Um, so. Yeah, I think my sense it is uh, a crackdown honeymoon in the sense that uh, those sorts of pressure that you're talking about, which would be, you know, uh, which would be uh, like uh, a mechanism. Uh, to make the authorities think twice after or before engaging in you know, another act of crackdown. Um, I don't think uh, this mechanism is, is no longer existent. Uh, I mean, the Europeans right now are uh, engaging for the first time uh, since 2013 in, the, you know, in their council meeting with uh, Egypt, which is the first since 2013, and which basically a gesture that carries the, you know, finally uh, the acquiescence of uh, European leaders with the current regime, even though it is not a position that they have fully uh, taken in the last years, or, you know, they would take it with a lot of hesitation or partially, let's say, but, you know, the council meeting basically is a gesture of complete support and backing of the current authorities. Um, the same seems to be the case of the U.S. Um, so, in other words, there's there's no loss of access or credibility for the government. It's it's the, the contrary. I think not at all, and I think it doesn't have to do with um, Egypt's diplomatic success alone uh, in these new years. I think it has to do with the circumstances of the region and the Saudi leadership and pressure on, you know, um, a lot of uh, these 
countries that are supposed to make uh, positions on Egypt right, right now. So we have to remember that the beginning of the blocking, which is the you know the, the question we started our conversation with, uh, is coincides basically with the with the boycott, uh, the, the you know Arab regional boycott of Qatar. Um, so there is a lot of significance uh, in, in, in that. And the first batch of websites that were blocked in Egypt are the Qatari websites, and Meda's name was just basically planted in there. So. And, 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 and I mean, in the history, the recent history of your, of your most celebrated journalism has been reports that have detailed uh, and chronicled various aspects of the abuse of power by the government. And, and, crossing red lines by looking, for example, at how the army actually engages in corruption or uh, uh, mistreatment of, of detainees or, you know, the sort of nuts and bolts of what is illegal as well as morally troubling about about this uh, this regime. And uh, when they brought in Hassan, the, the, what it looked like is they were trying to silence one uh, one reporter, one voice who is chronicling and documenting these things. Uh, do you think that the, uh, the new technique is going to be to let you and maybe others go on with your work as long as they can make sure virtually nobody sees it inside Egypt? Is that the, is that the plan B? The problem was, you know, trying to make speculations about how they plan to contain whatever is left of, you know, voices of dissent or critical voices that, you know, try to move them into account is, is that it's, it's very hard to predict how they are going about this. I don't think um, there is any clear mechanisms of policy making uh, with the current authorities. Uh, um, yes, you can, you know, give them or give them the very generic label of them being authoritarians, but it's not also the kind of authoritarianism that you can understand or make sense of or study through uh, certain trends uh, of policy making, for example. So uh, I can't really guarantee um, that what you said now, uh, which is that we basically block our websites, but make sure, um, but you know, leave us bark on our own so long as no one is, is accessing our content. I'm not sure that um, we can be, you know, comforted by the fact that they didn't come close to us. We know that there is a bunch of media legislations, for example, that um, are uh, in the process of being uh, uh, promulgated, basically, and, and, you know, they will basically uh, mean the closure, the imminent closure of this entire organization and not its mere blocking from the internet alone, for example. So, so you know, you never know. Uh, it's very unpredictable and chaotic, at least for us, uh, the way policy making is made. And, you know, I have to point here to the fact that, you know, uh, if we compare to another, you know, brand of authoritarianism, which is the bark authoritarianism, um, you could point to actually a broader political regime uh, that, uh, you know, was practicing politics of authoritarianism in certain ways that we understood with time. And actually, this is how we managed to carve out a margin through which we continue to be productive, to oppose, to critique, and so on. There were observable rules and practices of exactly. the authoritarian And there was a, a ruling clique, and, you know, the, the president was having his own circle of um, civilian advisors who, you know, would... Um, 
there were politics of a, of a sort that were taking place. Exactly. exactly. Right now, it is very hard to point to that. It's very hard to like, understand how this happens. Uh, and our sense is, is that there's barely a regime that can be talked about. There are people in authority, um, but there isn't really a regime as such, and that makes it really unpredictable uh, for anyone. Well, thank you very much uh, for taking the time to talk. Uh, this is Lina Atala, editor of Mada Masr. And if you're not in Egypt, you can uh, find their website at Mada Masr, which is M-A-D-A-M-A-S-R, and uh, see some of their excellent uh, reporting. And uh, thanks for joining us. I'm Thanasi Kambanis. This is uh, another edition of the Century Foundation's World Podcast. TCF World has been brought to you by the Century Foundation, a progressive public policy think tank that seeks to foster opportunity, reduce inequality, and promote security at home and abroad. For more information about Century's work, please visit tcf.org or follow us on Twitter and Facebook. <laughs>